0: Hey everybody, welcome back to Terminus, the misfits of extreme metal podcasts. I am the death metal guy, a.k.a. these are the businessmen from Marduk. Panzer Division Marduk? Huh. Motherfuckers Division Marduk.
1: I can't say I understand that, but I respect it. (laughs) Um, And I am the black metal guy, a.k.a. The weird guy was accidentally handsome.
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm surprised you haven't heard that one before, the, the Marduk thing. No, no, what is it? Okay, so, so this is weird. This, this used to be a, a classic, almost like copypasta, on like the Metal Archives and other old metal forums back in the 2000s. So back in the year 2000, a couple of the guys from Nocturnal Mortem Decided to do, like, a side project of, like, hard, raw NSBM called Aryan Terrorism. Um, they just put out one record. It's, it's fucking terrible. It's not good at all. Um, but there's a song on it called Crush the Lies, which is basically a diss track where they, in <gasps> terrible English, make fun of all sorts of black metal bands. So, I don't know what their antagonism to Marduk was, but I guess they're businessmen, who are actually motherfuckers. I don't know. Let's see, he makes fun of... uh,
1: Insufficiently committed to Aryan terrorism.
0: Yeah, they make fun of Dimmu-Borger, Cradle of Filth, of course, Covenant, with a K, Marduk, Emperor, and Behemoth. So, you know, you get a pretty pretty (laughs) well-rounded picture of... Who- the who's who of late '90s black metal. All yeah. the stars are here. <laughs> yeah. Know, like. But yeah, no, it's a, it's a, well, it's a totally I, terrible record. So.
1: I think I've heard that song and it's terrible, but now I'm gonna have to listen to it.
0: Yeah, I, I, I remember. Yeah. I, it randomly flickered into my memory the other day, yeah. and I was like, I, "God, have I ever actually listened to that record?" i was as i put it on on youtube and i just just like immediately turned it off like a minute and a half in. it's just just the worst sort of like bedroom nsbm stuff you can imagine and it it really the the only value that it has is comedy value
1: walmart pest dance
0: yes yes exactly so, all right, boys. You know how it is. We've got a uh, actually a show with uh, two very big records for uh, our listener base today. Uh, also, quick plug before I do our regular housekeeping. Uh, I popped onto the Bunsen Burner podcast uh, just a few nights back and uh, recorded an episode with those guys. Uh, for those of you who aren't familiar, Bunsen burner podcast is sort of the in-house uh, podcast of Bunsen burner records, which is run by uh, the guys from Galicia and warriors chalice and that circle of bands uh, went on there with them. Uh, had a great time. That episode will be coming out soon and uh, just wanted to throw it out to them. Uh, thanks. Thanks to the guys for uh, having me on. And if you guys are into uh something like terminus but like a little bit more laid back and conversational and more focused on old obscure 90s records it's it's a really good one uh we probably share a lot of listener base but let's make that Venn diagram a circle so <laughs> all right uh housekeeping for all the boys out there oh, oh. should we tell them about the new schedule oh uh, yeah if you'd like to give a rundown of that sure well,
1: yeah, why not? On special episode 138. Um, the uh, So we figured what we want to do is... Um, we've been... In case you haven't noticed, we've been doing the same damn thing every week for three and a half years. Um, and we've tried to do other kinds of content aside from that, but... The idea was it was always an extra, right? Like, oh, we'll record bonus episodes uh, that will be patrons only. And, you know, maybe, oh, when we have time, we'll do an interview. And for maybe a year, this kind of worked, maybe a year and a half, because we had that insane burst of energy you get at the beginning of a project, and our lives were a little more conducive to it then, and whatnot. Um, But... Um, given how much shit we do for every regular episode it's simply been unsustainable to do that you've realized we have not had many we, we've only recently started having interviews again in part because of this change in format and we haven't done any patrons only shit in a long time uh, As be- I said it before but you know if you were on our Patreon at some point and left because there wasn't any bonus content no hard feelings man We f- we get it <laughs> um <laughs> But uh, the um, so we want to change things around to make it a little var- more varied for us and for you uh, and to uh, make the schedule work for us. So we want to do like we're rethinking it, and you know there might be some experimenting with it. But what we're gonna do, we're gonna what we're gonna do is like a six week rotation where we give you a full four band episode an interview an episode that's as long as we want it to be maybe two maybe four Um, some other sort of special content maybe an interview or something more like one of our bonus episodes but this time it'll be public for everyone right from the beginning because that stuff is some of our best work and we want it to get out to people Uh, and we want to just record it on whatever we want it to be about that week Um, And then um, another regular episode, probably three or four bands. And then on the sixth week, we will do a patrons-only live stream. Uh, And that will be the special content you get from Patreon, other than Discord membership and a place in the halls of the gods after the last battle. Um, (laughs) Uh, The... So, we're, we're we're starting this rotation to keep things a little more interesting. We are already on uh, week three of the new rotation. Uh, we did a, a big four-bander a couple weeks ago. Um, the death metal guy kindly took it upon himself to interview Ron Vento from Ice. <laughs> um, and now we're doing this episode. And I will have some sort of special content for you next week. Um, leaning towards something a bit more like... Uh, music criticism op eddy. we'll see um if if not there's a few people i've have in the queue for interviews and we can you know get her done um yeah yeah think think thinking about you know stretching the content wings a little bit um and we are also going to have our um our our mighty and loyal intern hyper shaman uh we've been you know giving him different tasks trying different things out um Right now, he's doing the Facebook page and doing a great job. I often just take and slightly tweak his posts from the Facebook and put them on Instagram. Um, And what we also are going to get him to do is start making YouTube clips. Uh, We've been kicking against the pricks algorithm-wise for our entire existence. And lately, after YouTube introduced shorts and is dumbing its content down even more, it's almost just like counterproductive, Right. And, you know, when we started this show, we were inspired by the most sprawling autistic podcast in existence. Um, In (laughs) fact, the only podcast I'd ever heard was The Joe Rogan Show. Um, uh, But the, um, you know, the reason people listen to that shit in the first place is they hear JRE clips or whatever, right? They hear some great story about, like, uh, you know, um, know, arm wrestling Sasquatch or whatever. Uh, And... So we're going to try to get some, um, both shorter YouTube video uploads that are like clip, you know, five to 20 minute samples from the episodes, uh, as well as, um, some proper YouTube shorts, uh, for the ADHD of among you. Um, and, uh, and also maybe occasionally try putting out just single review clips from the full podcast. So like we're going to put out a, uh, a self-contained grid link review in a day or two uh just because we'll see if the algorithm likes it better and anyone who wouldn't normally check it out uh as part of the you know three hours might check it out so we're trying some different things um the the basic format though remains the core of the show and unchanged and of course if you listen on a podcast thing you don't have to worry about any like shorter content cluttering your experience does that about take care of it
0: Ethmo guy yeah I think that'll do it. So, in short, shh, shh, big thing's coming. Hey, it's Kari
1: from Sepulchre Curse. And I'm Yoko. You're listening to Terminus. Okay. And we are back from discussing the odd fact that Mortician was uh, on a relapse and around from the late eighties to review the first primordial record in five years Uh, the last one was exile amongst the ruins and they are finally back with how it ends out now and a couple as of a, a week or two ago on metal blade records so um we were uh i was lucky enough to talk to alan uh in an interview a few months ago and we talked about his verminous serpent side project and also a bit about the recording process for this record <clears throat> and where where it came from uh um basically uh if you you've followed his podcast at all uh you know that he's been very uh he, he's been very angry about uh what you could call the lockdown regime that paralyzed ireland and most of europe and some of america during uh you know in in 2020 and 2021 um and it's it's led him to thinking uh, thinking a lot about sort of um uh, soft totalitarianism in various ways uh and asking some questions about the the fate of the fate of the modern world um, and uh, he's so this is his protest record in a way um, and I, I'm confident sort of aligning the record with with his sort of thought process and all that because primordial more than any other really more than any other of the major black metal bands is focused on the persona of a front man that doesn't mean of course, when Alan is on stage as Nemthianga, I'm going to pronounce that wrong. But uh, um, when he's on stage, right, there, there's a dramatis persona, right? He's not himself. He's this character. But in extreme music, the front man grows into the character. And, uh, you know, in, in, in this case, the character is a lot like the real life guy and the band's music sort of centers on his personal expression in a way that's uncommon in black metal, which is usually more objective. So, um, so there's this pro there's this sort of, um, this is a, a lot of primordial records in the past have dealt with, uh, brooding ruminations on, uh, the, especially since like gathering wilderness and, 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 after that, uh, the, uh, To the Nameless Dead, brooding ruminations on the political history of modern Ireland and just pre-modern Ireland, um, you know, the Crom- uh, Cromwell's massacres, uh, the, the things that brought modern Ireland and modern Britain into existence. Um, this is much more urgent and contemporary, and yeah, really uh, immediately angry. Um, and musically the band have rolled with that by trying to take a more shoot from the hip approach with the recording um and we, we talked about that in the interview they, they went up to a sort of cottage style recording studio in the hills um and did most work did most of the work uh living and working together over an intense period of weeks uh, and recording live as much as possible, uh, with sort of raw sound. Um, and, uh, the, so they, they, they took a very spontaneous approach to it, um, and worked maybe a little more like a classic rock or old heavy metal band, right? Um, where say a band like Led Zeppelin or whatever had so much fucking budget or whatever that they could go into a, go into the studio and write a record. Um, and Primordial, of course, have to do it in a tighter way. But they they took that kind of approach. Um, and this is certainly an album of rage and immediacy. Uh, and it is less involved in, let's say, slow-burning doom, Black Doom anthems than a lot of their most recent stuff. Uh, in places, it moves at a clip. In other places, it moves even slower, but in a different way. Um, it's a long record in the, you know, so that that's a statement in itself, as we talked about, say with Cromlech's extremely long record. Um, it's a long record and it's oddly structured. Uh, we both registered that, uh, the death, uh, death metal guy, what did you think?
0: Um, definitely, definitely an odd record. Um, I think this is the first Primordial record that I've heard in full. Um, I've heard pieces of others. Uh, during the period where Primordial was really blowing up in a more mainstream way, I just didn't really check him out in the 2000s just because, I I don't know, it was, it was receiving a lot of probably inaccurate comparisons to stuff like Agaloc or something like that. Oh, um, for sure, yeah. It, it, the, I think that the... Some of the, the most out parts of Primordial were perhaps overemphasized, and 17-year-old me in 2007 was very disinterested in anything. I was like, well, there's not even any slams? What's the point? You know? so, right. But now now I'm a little bit older, so I've got more time for this sort of thing. I'm guessing that this isn't super representative of the band's discography, and I'm interested in going backwards and exploring some of it as a result. um. Because this is a record that is, in a very large part, probably even like the majority of it, is rooted in sort of 80s heavy metal and hard rock. Um, The black metal that is still present on this record comes through in chord voicings and certain quirks of the arrangements, as well as a, a willingness towards a sort of spare minimalist presentation with a lot of repetition that would be more defining of black metal. But overall, most of the material on this record just at first blush has a lot more to do with a, a sort of extended universe of, like, NWOBHM, um, sort of, but burlier kind of US power metal here and there. Man of War I think, is probably a touchstone. Uh, as well as just a lot of pretty direct rock stuff, you know, from, you know, the hard rock to alt rock spectrum. I like it. I think that it's structured very strangely. Um, I think that... This is a strange case where this is a metal record that is probably at its best at its softest moments with huge quotes around that, you know, you know, depending on what you think of that word. But the moments where this record goes the furthest into sort of folk and post-punk and and rock territory, I think are the best. Um there's a run of tracks in the middle of this record, uh, like the fourth through the seventh tracks from uh, Trita to Call to Ser Nuno's that I think is just a, a brick of just awesome stuff from beginning to end. The end of the record also picks up the pace and kind of finds its footing a little bit better. I think that the opening gives me trouble. Um, the first couple tracks on this just really don't land in the way that the rest of the material does. It, in kind of a weird way, you know, it, it's it's strange because nothing, there's nothing fundamentally different about them. They're just not as well executed as the rest of the more heavy metal leaning material on the album. So I'm not, I can't, you know, discount the album as a result. But that's a big stumbling block up front. Once you get into the meat of the album proper. You know, after the first 15, 20 minutes or so, it really starts to shine. But that was an initial difficulty for me. Once you get past it, though, there's a lot of really cool material on this record to explore.
1: So, yeah, I mean, I think I basically agree with you about the structure. Um, that unit in the middle, those, you know, those three, four tracks that are folkier, more expansive... Uh, sort of very trippy honestly um those are a really good self-contained unit that will hit people as very unexpected in the past they might do one song like that as a spacer um but the bulk of the music um the bulk of the music on later primordial records is gonna sound more like somewhere between the first three tracks and the last two
2: okay
1: on the record uh Victory has... The last... very last one, Victory Has a Thousand Fathers, Defeat is an Orphan. That was one of the lead singles. That one is is great. That is a good example of a post... You know, of a uh, latter half of career primordial song, Firing on All Cylinders. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, The... um, but yeah, so it's unusual. That core of the record is an adve- is adventurous and really well done. I mean, it makes sense they have the chops to do it because of things they've done in the past, but that's a lot of commitment to the idea. And then hearing that sort of coalesce through All Against All, which is also kind of trippy, into those, but much more aggressive, into those last two tracks is very compelling. Mm-hmm. Um, th- I agree with you about the first two, especially the first track. Um the first track has may has maybe the best lyrics on the record and a very powerful vocal performance. Um but you know, if I had my druthers, I almost would have taken those lyrics and vocal performance and stuck them on all the riffs and r- the all the riffs and rhythm parts to Victory as a Thousand Fathers. Mm-hmm. Um so what's odd about this song is that there's—it's sort of the definitive statement of the of the record of Defiant Rage, um, but the the rhythm part is borrowed from an earlier he- or heav- heavily patterned on an earlier primordial hit called Heathen Tribes, and I get why you might do that if you're a band like Primordial because unlike say a lot of bands in the underground they're speaking to a large and dedicated group of fans who've been with them for decades right so for a certain kind of person right it might be like oh it's kind of like that riff but it's like darker and sort of tenser and and more uh more sort of um uncertain in an interesting way right but as it is it just feels kind of um like a truncated Uh, version of the riff and it the vocals don't have as much room to play with the uh, the riff but let's talk about about riffing I want to come back to that idea of what is a primordial riff because really the band does not center on riffs it centers on rhythm guitar parts Uh, but I want to get their sort of um, actually yeah let's go there now and then i want to want to expand to some some more big picture stuff about the record but uh let's listen to just the opening part of that song how it ends um and yeah let's i've we have already described it so let's just get into it now listen I have a bit more time for the rhythm guitar part there I feel like it it kind of lumbers along over under the first verse but as it gathers momentum into the uh, into sort of the, the, the chorus there which just goes over basically the same riff uh, or different uh, modifications of the same riff. Uh, it works pretty well to give more freedom of melodic movement to Alan's voice. Uh, And Alan is closer to singing there than he often is. Um, So yeah, this is the basic thing about Primordial. Um, Also, I don't want to make this just, I have some ideas about this, but I don't want to make it just me Spurging out. So (laughs) tell me what you think of this death metal
2: guy.
0: Um, So so I see where this slots in as a sort of intro track to the whole album. I I think that my issue with these first couple songs is that there is some stuff that feels like it's moving at cross purposes within the song itself. Uh, And not just like the arrangement, but sort of the production philosophy and a lot of things all tied together. In that Primordial seems to be simultaneously reaching for the, The sort of like explosive, vast quality of, you know, late 80s heavy metal, you know, really embracing all the theatrical qualities of that, but also wanting to stay very grounded in this sort of minimal black metal influenced, very direct and sort of deliberately spare arrangement. And I think that puts the music in kind of a weird place. I can imagine versions of this song that are... Glossier and more heavily arranged, maybe with more instrumental voices. And I can also imagine a version that's like even more pared back, where you know the drums are just sort of a one two stomp and it's a trem riff, and mm-hmm. Alan's just screaming the whole time. But they're trying to thread the needle through a middle route, and I think that works much better on later songs on the album than it does here. Uh, I see where this works as an intro track. But it's also an, an intro track that's like seven and a half minutes long. So <laughs> yes.
1: No, for sure, it takes a long time to get going. And by the time we are at the dramatic moments of say like three three thirty or three fifty on, we are well into it, right? Mm-hmm. And the sort of acoustic, the not the acoustic, the sort of intro clean guitar work is not that interesting. It. I get what you mean, and and also you people. It, it's legitimate to compare the riff to other things they've done before, but um, the uh, I think you're basically getting at the same thing as me uh, and a different side of it. I think you're totally right. They are pulled between basically, if I had to sum up primordial in one word, I would say struggle. Um, and a struggle that's taken on willingly. Uh, and the struggle is to is to maintain to the utmost seemingly opposing tendencies, mm-hmm. or maybe actually opposing tendencies. And in a way, all of art is kind—you of, know—black metal especially is about sustention of opposites. That doesn't mean um, that doesn't mean like reconciling them or trying to solve them or anything. Um, it's a different thing. Uh, sustention of paradox. What i mean um that things that appear to be paradoxical are not paradoxical but in primordial um very often there is a, a real conflict between the two things that they're trying to do and it is very difficult to negotiate and when they stick the landing it's brilliant and other times they don't stick the landing so much mm-hmm. so they want to be both a Rousing heavy metal band with this kind of focus on a uh, a a human individual persona at the center of it, right, in a way that was clearly important to all of them when they were kids, right. And Alan's very earnest about obviously still enjoying eighty style heavy metal uh, and and doom and stuff. On on the other hand, they yeah they want as you say they want to be a minimalist droning folk black metal band um, and this song is a good example of those two tendencies pulling apart uh and you can also think of it in a more granular way in terms of their song structures so really primordial sets up a musical problem and try and could generate songs by presenting different answers to that problem uh the problem is you need to the center of the music is these uh semi-melodic, semi-clean vocals by Alan. And what what room does that leave for the guitar, right? Because in black metal and death metal, the central voice is the riff that is what in the past had been a mere rhythm guitar part elevated to the central voice, right? Looping, looping, repetitive, uh aggressive musical phrases um that are played chorded or played in repeating leads um and sorry phone uh the um and and in this case if you try riffing it is very difficult to fit together extreme metal riffing sorry phone again the instant I take my phone off, when I take my phone off silent, I realize why I leave it on silent most of the time. <laughs> um, oh, I, well, it's it's still not silent. All right, boomer moment. There we go. <laughs> um, so the the problem is you have these you have this soaring impassioned vocal performance at the center, and you need rhythm parts that are both meaningfully black metal but are not going to conflict with the sonic space of the of the melody, right? And you can imagine how fucking difficult it would be to sing over anything like a true extreme metal riff, Mm -hmm. right? In any way that other than like doubling the riff in a way that would sound comical, right? Imagine imagine Pest going and Gorgrath going, da <sing> right I mean he does some brilliant singing on that record but they find clever ways of making space for it mm-hmm. um, and uh, in in this case um, so so you know or imagine trying to sing over a slayer riff right it's just not you know that's a more extreme example of that problem um, and so and there are, are ways you can have sort of riffy rhythm parts that allow room for a vocal in an 80s heavy metal way, right? Like Necropolis by Manila Road. But that's supposed to be a background influence, not the dominant style here, right? And so you... So what you end up with is rhythm parts that need to be as dense and textured and melodically inflected as possible while still essentially being rhythm parts. Uh, And and so it really means that those riff-like chord parts need to be firing on all cylinders and interacting in the best possible way with the screaming-like singing parts that Alan does, right? Basically, both parts of the equation pull towards one another in weird ways, and it can actually make it more challenging for them to mesh. Uh, does, that, does that make sense?
0: No, I, I, I get what you mean. There's, um, th- they've got this proclivity to move in these multiple directions, and you suggest that that inherent tension is like a fundamental part of what makes primordial yeah
1: yeah it's um th- and there's something deeply irish about that so let's talk about the lyrics um to that track just the first two stanzas is this how it ends until only until only one song remains is this how language dies one tongue at a time is this the noose waiting at the gallows end next will crack to the anthem of this world is this how it ends no more myths to hand from word to mouth is this how it ends no protest songs no voices in dissent how did you feel when they called your name and you stood in line for the last time that those last two lines give me chills right that is a that is a um that is a a scornful uh condemnation right of complicity um and it's part of a long uh, a proud tradition of irish nationalism which is uh hating the irish <laughs> um and, and alan said something about this in an interview even before all the all the the craziness of the last few years he talked about um the notion that he felt the nation had been failed by its own people <laughs> um and this posture of, um, on the one hand, deep investment in, uh, in your country and your people, and also um, a kind of uh, artistic or aristocratic alienation from them is um, very fundamental to like, maybe the leading edge of Irish art or the artistic fringe of Nash, Irish nationalism. So you could think about like Joyce, um, Joyce was, you know, um, sort of enamored of the, as a young man, uh, he, he was sympathetic to the left wing of Irish Republicanism and to stuff like, uh, you know, Parnell, um, and various, various attempts to form a, a modern democratic state. Uh, but, He also saw bound up with it a kind of, um, uh, you know, middle-class Catholic moralism and a boneheaded bigotry that he, as a freewheeling individualist artist, uh, sort of despised, right? Um, And you can see in something like Ulysses or whatever that there's this deep investment in Ireland as a place and nation while also sitting one setting himself back from all of it and in opposition to it. Um, and Yates, in many ways, was on, on the right wing of Irish nationalism. And for him, but in many ways, had some of the same complaints. Uh, um, Yates felt deeply tied to the people and to the, the, the struggle against the English. However, he disliked um, what the Republican movement became, uh, A because it was too democratic, um, and uh, and specifically because he thought that the old Protestant aristocracy had an important, from which he was descended, had an important role to play in that struggle, uh, and you know that they shouldn't be just characterized as the bad guys. Um, he he. Uh, so so Joyce has this. And he also hated the sort of pious, middle-class Catholic moralism uh, and and the, I guess you could say, yeah, the, the small-mindedness of the democratic mob. Uh, and yet is, of course, his name is almost synonymous with the Irish spirit. Um, and Primordial has a kind of similar posture. There's a uh, like Joyce or like Yeats, there's a fierce commitment to two principles which strain in term which might in the abstract be reconcilable with one another or consist not conflict with each other but in practical reality definitely do uh, and um, a refusal to make an emotionally easy choice for one or the other and to sustain the sort of uh, the tension between them which can be a tragic tension and that's i feel like that's kind of at the heart of primordial's music and you can hear it in the structure too and just like when with that cromleck record right you were like this is we we talked about how it was about tragedy right Mm -hmm. sometimes it works sometimes it pulls itself apart under its own weight i think they are deeply influenced by primordial and I, I think there's that. somewhat similar things going on here, although this is much more minimalist.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, anyway. I, I guess. I guess my my question is, you know, with music of this scope, um, is it not perhaps like outgrowing some of those structural limitations that are a holdover from more definitively black metal styles that they've played before? Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, no, I, I think that's a... I, I think that's a fair question. Um the uh I mean, the and and it you that's an important thing to add is that the um the the ref, what what's in this band is a refusal of conventional black metal riffing, right? And song structures. When they do it, um they they kill it. So on star Storm Before Calm has, starts with the Heretics Age, which would probably be an all-timer storming black metal song for me. Um, the riffing is phenomenal. The vocal performance is uh, the vocal performance is vile and wrathful. Uh, lyrics are killer. Um, it's a uh, it's an amazing black metal song. Or um, you could do uh, Traitors Gate is a great one. Um, wh- when they want to just do that core black metal approach. They do it very well. And yeah, there could be at this point too much residue of it. I feel like the best place where they really got both sides of the equation was uh, Gathering Wilderness, which I think a lot of people would agree is the best record. But that had riffs that were... That had rhythm parts that worked like sprawling and slowly unfolding riffs. It had vocals that were really carefully worked around them uh and it had vast and repetitive and kind of impenetrable black metal or doom metal song structures that kept it from becoming rock music right and now they are moving a lot more towards the rockish aspect of their sound so how does that stuff fare here's an example a second example um this is uh this is a track, this is the third track, and I feel like here's where they do something that is much more like, this is the primordial, the old primordial formula since Gathering Wilderness, firing on all cylinders. Uh, and it has some of the stuff about when the, when the rhythm parts work well. So this is uh, We Shall Not Serve. that is much more like stuff, a faster version of stuff on Gathering Wilderness. Okay. Um, and, you know, that, that, at the end, that...
2: That's,
1: you know, you can hear how that's a more folkish textured version of, say, like, enslaved riffs on Horde. No,
0: yeah, I was, I was actually thinking <clears throat> sla- that's very enslaved. But here's what here's what gets me what I find weird. Now this mm-hmm. is this is the track where the record kind of turned around for me. This is where my ears perked up and I'm like, "Oh, okay. So oh, oh, there is something here that I like a lot more." Um what's interesting to me is like everything there is on the verge of being black metal and they're consciously refusing to do it, you know? Like like the uh, all the riffs there are essentially black metal riffs. You just trim them out, and those are you know, second wave cording patterns. But there's a real resistance to ever fully going in that direction, which I find interesting. You know, they've got all the all the ingredients of black metal are there, but they're sort of stubbornly refusing to put them together into black metal. But not necessarily in a bad way, because it's very interesting to hear a a sort of 80s heavy metal style contorted through the lens of a lot of black metal knowledge.
2: Yeah,
1: I mean, it's there's a similar weirdness in in parts like this, right? There's a similar weirdness to Manila Road, Mm -hmm. right? Where the vocals, especially the later, heavier Manila Road stuff, the Barbarian shit, where it's... uh, um the vocals sort of refuse to they're sort of melodic but not really the riffs there's often really cool rhythm parts but they're not necessarily riffy in the way that would come to be typical in metal they're just like cool chugs um the uh it it, it, yeah this is a good example that ascetic refusal to make it a black metal song is part of what i mean about that discipline of struggle where they are just attempting to commit to these two impulses that are difficult to uh, to deliver at the same time. Um, uh, but the one cool thing is the uh, much sort of more the more rapid the thing that happens here that's most like a riff is the rapid sequence of chords that comes right after the spacey build up. Right, Mm. Um, or some—it's—it's very—it's a little more vicious than that. It's—it's they slightly change the progression. Um, That's a good example of when the rhythm guitar working as a riff thing really works. Uh, And you can hear there's something that's typical for later primordial, which is one chord per measure because these are rhythm parts you uh, you get the galloping done and and various variations on it as almost the constant rhythmic thing but it's always tethered to the um, tethered to the beginnings and ends of measures um, and that can be extremely limiting as it is in how it ends uh, It can make things sound a little like clunky and grid written because you don't get the... Um, uh, you don't get the more convulsive, melodic shapes that you get in riffing, right? It's mm-hmm. They're often playing the same rhythms as Graveland, but refusing to add those syncopations and turns and elaborations that Graveland will do in the middle of a measure, right? Yeah, but, but um, it is
0: fundamentally functioning as a bed for Alan's vocals to go over. Um, which exactly. Which sort of justifies it.
1: Exactly. It's an early droning, you know, it's this style of riffing that Primordial and Graveland... Ex- invented right around the same time and instead of throwing these kinks in it that make it riffy you're using it as a bed for the vocals and so as long as there's a riff melodic chord progression with a reasonable intensity that can work and in places where that's not happening it can
0: falter so so jumping off the point of this being primarily vocal-led, uh, I'm going to get to a sample that I think shows off how this band at its best moments can create music that that benefits from that sort of irregular um, guitar-vocal relationship, at least irregular for most extreme metal. Um, I'm going to go to the very beginning of Pilgrimage to the World's End. So I said up front that I think that this at least on this record, Primordial are sort of at their best, at their softest. And by softest, I just mean the most outside of metal. And this is a particularly uh, sort of dreary, folky song that is probably my favorite on the record. It's tied up with um, Call to Sereninos, uh as my favorite. Um, this is a really good one. And this is the the moment where I realize, okay, this album's really got something. Um, so Alan, as a vocalist, thrives off of a high dynamic range, I think. He, he's, there's a real intense sense of dynamics in terms of his volume and his timbre, but as a result, some of those finer points can get lost when the band is at their sort of heaviest and most aggressive. You know, when, when the, the, the soundscape is filled up with a lot of distortion, it doesn't give him as much room to maneuver and as much room for these subtleties to come out. Here's a record, or a song rather, where they scale that back a little bit and I think that the results speak for themselves. <laughs> ¶¶ So there we've got a song where instead of using these sort of uh, gallop rhythm, almost black metal riffs, which tend to have all the same sort of like high density of like full fledged black metal here, it's paired back into sort of broken up black metal arpeggios, which just provides a lot more room for Alan to navigate. And given that now that Alan does this sort of theatrical sort of like oratorio style, I think that really benefits him because it, it leaves a lot more room for individualized line delivery. You know, moments, uh, moments of softness, moments of harshness, moments of high and low volume, a lot of room to play around with timbre and make the delivery of every word very precise. I like that a lot. I I think that for a band that is, at least on this record primarily driven by vocals it's good to give those vocals as much room to play especially when you've clearly got a very talented vocalist who knows how to make use of the room that he's given in a composition
1: i think yeah the way his voice sort of arcs up on there is a church in the something something Mm -hmm. just is crazy uh uh, another thing worth worth pointing out about his vocals, um, I think just a characterization that that is might might be might be useful is just it's like chanting.
2: Mm-hmm. Right?
1: He's not strictly often there's there's a melodic inflection to it, but it's often not strictly singing. It's like a chant and oratory or something well, like that. Well he's he's
0: also very clearly channeling Messiah on this track. That's
1: true. And I was going to say, here it does get the closest it's ever been to, like, operatic. And so, yeah, the Messiah thing makes sense. Mm
0: -hmm. Um, Which which leads me to another left-field comparison. We talked about this before recording, but I just want to, I don't know, kind of pitch it to the listeners. I think that there's a weird kinship between this album, or at least certain songs on it, And a certain kind of 90s hard rock that sort of budded against heavy metal. I'm thinking specifically, like, mostly of Soundgarden, as well as Alice in Chains and other bands like that. You know, these sort of uh, grungy hard rock bands that listen to a lot of Sabbath and Celtic Frost. Um, Soundgarden's Super Unknown is basically halfway to being a heavy metal record and just has full-fledged doom metal songs on it. Um and I almost think that it might be an understated influence here. Like the uh, the main riff here bears a fair amount of resemblance to the track "Limo Wreck" off of that album, which is a really bleak, gnarly song. Um, something about the and, and something about the way that both bands, you know, approach this 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 tense detente between their rock and metal impulses. I think it's really interesting. No idea if that's, like, something legitimate or not, but I figured I'd throw it out there and uh, let people see what they thought about it. My
1: hunch would be, given that they were coming up at exactly the same time as Soundgarden, and I think the cultural gulf between grunge and extreme metal, my guess would be that they always hated that shit. But, <laughs> but that know. doesn't mean... But that doesn't mean there's not a convergent evolution.
0: Well, I was about to say, I don't know about, like, a cultural gulf. I think that we overthink that a bit. You know, bear in mind that Kurt Cobain was, like, singing the praises of Celtic oh, Frost. Oh,
1: yeah, but case. Kurt Cobain was the original metal hipster. I'm thinking about from the opposite, like, from the opposite perspective. Right? okay, I that's mean, fair. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, um, I think grunge was a little bit scorned. It was... Sc- Maybe less so by death metal guys, but definitely by black metal guys, I would guess. Yeah, but that I mean, doesn't mean you can't, like, pick up a good rock and roll record in your when you're in your 30s and be like, hey, Soundgarden's pretty good. Right? <laughs> and I they mean, are. I, Super I, I, a
0: great I, album. <laughs>
1: hey, I, 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 I did that. I don't know. Which, which is the one with Slaves and Bulldozers?
0: Oh, I'm not... I think that's the one before... Yeah,
1: I, that one is yeah. pretty sick, and there's definitely Celtic Frost on it. And, uh, but, um... Yeah, they, they, they do have a very real metal influence, for sure. Um, mm-hmm. But anyway, I, I think I hear what you mean about the, the sort of carrot Yeah, yeah, the, the vocal centering thing, for sure. Um, also, another thing I wanted to say about the, ryth- the guitars there, somehow having this format with the broken arpeggios and the more open drumming mm-hmm. allows a lot more rhythmic flexibility, yep. right? And that's kind of one of the Achilles heels of the later primordial formulas because you don't you have relatively standardized drumming in a black metal way and because the guitar isn't doing the uh, the the sort of the rhythmic shaping of melody because it's playing chords measure by measure it can be very rhythmically static unless Alan is doing something more uh, you know that that is doing more punctuated or oddly timed vocals. Um, here, the rhythm, the guitar has a ton of rhythmic push and pull in it, um, and hearing how it sort of me- meanders through those chords is, and sort of loops back on itself is really interesting.
0: Yeah, no, I think I, I think that freeing this band up a little bit rhythmically d- does a lot for the overall strength of the songs. For sure.
1: Alright, so um now let's uh let's talk about a um th- the end of the uh the end of the middle sequence. Um worth noting also that track seven is called to Cernanos. Um there's not been any which just is an invocation of the Celtic god, you know, the 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 horned god. Um the uh well that that's a that's a fucking Wiccan word for it, but um, you know, the god with the I'm for the listeners, the guy with the horns. Sonos. <laughs> no. Um the um uh is um with the antlers. Um it's a kind of uh it really is like a prayer and there's nothing in a term that's unusual for this record there's not really any bitterness or irony to it um and that's kind of unusual because for a pagan for like a what we generally think of as a pagan black metal band that has a lot of uh um earthy celtic pagan uh imagery um primordial isn't very pagan or is very private about it if they are, um, and um, the uh, and has often seemed sort of skeptical uh, when, when the gods are mentioned, for instance, and even in the Gathering wilderness, Their earlier stuff is a lot more just directly pagan and grounded in sort of uh, grounded in the Celtic myths and epics. But even on the gathering wilderness, right? When he calls to the gods, the whole problem is that he—he's pretty sure the gods can't hear him, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so it's and over in later years, the music has become much more focused on like history, uh, and Alan's always had an investment to some degree in you broadly speaking, Enlightenment values, right? Sort of uh, free, free think individual free thinking rational uh rational discovery uh and a um sort of the yeah well sort of sort of principles that are in tension with the pagan undercurrent here right um and uh and so it's interesting on this record to hear the direct pagan stuff coming back a little bit more Here's a track called All Against All, which is right after that and sort of ends that suite. And here we get back much more to the sort of, um, the conflict that's at the heart of this record and maybe primordial. Um, The title of course is a reference to uh, Hobbes um, and also maybe to a Diocletian record. There's a lot of like metal nudge wink references. Uh, And track two is a reference to his buddy's neo-folk band Rome.
0: Um, I was about to, is that, I, I oh, figured yeah. it was a Rome reference. I didn't know if it was, you know, from somewhere else, but I was They're like, friends oh, and have guessed it on each other's stuff.
1: Um, oh, okay.
0: Yeah, I didn't even yeah. realize that that relationship was there, but I was like, are we, I remember when I heard that, I was like, are we just fucking name checking Rome lines though?" I mean, okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's a lot of that here. Um, so All Against All is, um, you know, about, um, looming apocalyptic battle or not. And weirdly, the riff is um, advanced killing joke. That's not a riff we were expecting.
0: No, that that definitely took me by surprise when I first heard it.
1: That is one of the that is like um, the true killing joke riff. That's the kind of shit they did on um, what is it? Uh, not not now. Now I'm gonna uh, botch the title. The um the the one with the blue the blue sheet on the cover. Um, that I'm always talking about. Um, but um. It's, uh, it, it's a. It's a. It's tr- a. It's like. It's not. Basically, they're not just playing the riff to the weight, which is you know every every Metallica riff and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, they're um, and it's uh. It's oh, I think it's it's Revelations. Sorry. Um, but um, it it's a uh, unusual choice. But then you think about something we've talked about on the show before: the way that Primordial sort of re- goes back there's clearly a similar spirit here to Amoebix and you know Amoebix is very Killing Jokey and all that that makes sense um but more than that right Killing Joke specialized in extremely paranoid riffs Uh, high tension paranoid riffs Um, not just concerted direct power Uh, and this track gives us an interaction of that with these sort of barreling, kind of deliberately forced, crushing black metal riffs, right? Bulldozer black metal riffs. Um, And a vocal interplay between a pretty straight early 90s Alan voice and his more modern oratory. Uh, And lyrically, uh, it's... L- lyrically you can hear that conflict kind of as well there's there's a dog trying to sit on my um uh, my audio sorry pardon me sir um uh, yes i know yeah well he thinks it's a sick riff anyway um but um the uh there's a th- lyrically right the question is is this the kali yuga you asked for could this be the fall of rome uh, and the, the the persistent nagging feeling is that it's not Right, or that that all that will happen is uh, an endless sprawling, an endlessly diminishing world in which nothing is at stake. Right, that that we will get the end of history that the powers that be want. Right, um, and at the same time, right, part of him seems to be longing for the Ragnarok with its quote pained rebirth. But another part of him seems deeply skeptical of whether he even wants that, right? In the next stanza he says, who asked for salvation from your gods, right? Um, so this might be some sort of criticism of the more uh, apocalyptic tendency in most black metal, right? But there's a lot of different, um, a lot of different feelings surging around there and clashing with one another as he tries to negotiate this.
0: Uh, Coming hot off the heels of a review of a a very melodic, um, um, vast-in-scope, emotionally tumultuous record, Uh, the death metal guy is here to bring you a record that mostly just goes
2: bang, 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 bang
0: for 35 minutes. (laughs) And I love it, because it's the new record by Profanatica, titled Crux Simplex, released on Season of Mist, of all fucking things. What, what, what do you think possessed Season of Mist to sign Profanatica? I'm just curious.
1: <laughs> Same thing that possessed them to try to, to sign Revenge, although I think they'll be, um, you know, I don't think they're going to be able to do... I don't think Ledney will let them do to Profanatica what they did to Revenge.
0: Yeah, I don't. I don't think you're. I don't think you're gonna do much to dissuade Paul from his uh, his vision. Um, yeah. So uh, a couple a weeks. New line ago, of Profanatica emerged geared towards Zoomer punks. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's gonna. I don't. I don't yeah, think. Yeah i don't is it possible to listen to profanatica under the age of 30 i I mean i thought there was some sort of like fucking force field you just bounce off of
1: yeah well the cds are all parental advisory plus
0: (laughs) mega priest (laughs) priest advisory (laughs) um god advisory uh Okay, so uh, a couple weeks ago we covered the new Gridlink. Uh, I'm going to do the same thing here that I did there. Uh, here is your no clickbait upfront review. Crux Simplex is a Profanatica record. I think it is a very good one and I like it a lot, but I also like everything Profanautica has ever done. If you like Profanautica, you will enjoy this record. If you don't like Profanautica, this will not give you any evidence to change your mind. (laughs) Um, So when covering a band like this, a a band of such a, a specific and singular vision, a review ends up kind of just being a referendum on the band as a whole. But I will say as a dedicated fan, Crux Simplex is very good. Where it falls exactly in their discography, not sure, probably in the upper half. Um, and it is just a rollicking, good, blasphemous time. Um, I'll get into sort of my broader thoughts on the band and the record, but uh, Black Metal Guy, this is, I believe, your first full uh, Profanatica experience, like listening to an album from tip to tail. So, what did you think? Is it is it what you expected? <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, basically, yeah. It's um, you know, as you say, bang, 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 <laughs> bang, um, and and that's great. I love it. Um, the um, there are some things that are a little bit surprising about it, which I'll get into. But um, I, I guess some things, some background knowledge for me and for listeners, right? So I I've probably heard more Have A Edge, um, and I, I feel like. Kembatini and Premaster is have a hedge, right? Like, yeah, yeah, I've I've listened to some of that. I've listened to some of the earlier stuff. Um, and what is the point of divergence between these bands? And are like, is Profanatica a two man group still, <laughs> or is it back to just Paul or something? What What is the lineup in Profanatica right now?
0: Okay, so the the, the current Profanatica lineup is Paul, uh, Adam Besserer on guitar and pat davies on bass but in all honesty like the other members of profanatica sort of float in and float out like these guys just joined in 2018 and 2020 respectively Mm -hmm. um i think i i played with profanatica i think in like 2017 and it was different guys but that's just how profanatica goes it's Letney's band um as far as uh, and i think you were you were kind of asking about what's the distinction between Profanautica and have a hedge at this point
1: yeah yeah so okay so have a hedge is always just him and yeah. have a hedge is the more abrasive and or experimental
0: is that it yeah well so back in the day originally have a hedge started because profonatica broke up but they had parts of an unreleased record and I think Paul like re-recorded those himself and added some more tracks, and that was Dethrone the Son of God. You know, it was sort of like half a Profanatica record, but he wanted to do it under a different name. Then later on, especially when Profanatica reformed, Hedge kicked off in this much more experimental, sort of industrial noise direction. Got um, it. So that distinction, the distinction is there, but it kind of arose from weird circumstances. Um, Profanautica is committed to doing the same thing that Profanautica has been doing since 1990, and then have a hedge. is, like, where Paul can just, like, freewheel and do weird
2: shit.
1: Word. Okay. So, um, yeah, so there are some things about this record, then, that might be a little bit of a departure from Profanautica, or you can tell me. Um, uh, I, I, I guess when I think of the Profanatica riffs, I probably think of stuff from Dethrone the Son of God. Um... Or stuff that's similar to that, um,
0: just those hyper uh, angular single note trem riffs that impossible intervals and shit.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, just um, just bizarre parallel universe dissonance. In actually, one weird connection to the primordial record in the way that the rhythm guitars there tend to move measure by measure, mm-hmm. um, or two measures, two measures. Profanatica emphasizes. Whereas there, it's kind of a often kind of a a handicap. Profanatica does this very deliberately, and they do it to give the music a kind of infernal geometry, right? So it is, it has this unnatural symmetry that is, um, like they'll play, they'll trem a note for like a half step, half step, half step, half step, half step, half step, Mm -hmm. Uh, or not sorry, not a half half note, half note, half note, half note, half note, Um, or you know, quarter note, quarter note. Um, things move in very regular temporal... Things move through sickeningly dissonant intervals in very regular temporal spacing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's a classic Ledney riff. I expected that, and I expected the um, the primitive slow half-blast. taka 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 What I didn't expect was there's more shades of... Consonant melody on here than I expected.
0: Yeah. So so Havahedge, um really did that like insanely geometric single note trem stuff. And there's some of that in Profanatica, but Profanatica is really more consistently rooted in just like wanting to sound like an especially cruel Celtic Frost, you know, or uh, you know, very very primitive early demo Morbid Angel. Right, be heavy, cool, evil. Exactly. Um, well, sort of like that's almost, almost the satanic speed metal philosophy, but like taken much more seriously and gruesomely in a way.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, and so I can hear that, right? I can hear how you know everyone on our Discord has talked about the. Um, the Ledney interview with Yeah, uh, which is which yeah.
0: we were talking we, we we talked in the notes on the dock. Yeah. I, I think that's gonna be a huge touchstone in the future for people understanding Pro Fanatica.
1: Right. So for people who haven't seen this, it's he's interviewed by uh, Justin Horval, who's the Hell's Headbangers guy. Mm-hmm. Um and uh he gives he's interviewed about the genesis of the band and his perspective on black metal. It's um he gives an you know, sort of an authentic, thoughtful and totally legitimate perspective that triggered me beyond belief, um, which is how, you know, it's, you know, hey, that's, that's I'm surprised that to. it
0: triggered you because isn't it kind of exactly what you would expect? Oh, no, it's what I would expect from him. Yeah, no, it was it, it was like it was cool
1: and very informative about where the sound was going. I think his characterizations of Scandinavian black metal or whatever I would I would strongly object to. Um, however, uh, they make sense as a the perspective of a guy who was making something similar but with a decidedly different vision. Right back at that time, and they were all asshole teenagers competing with each other. Mm. So why wouldn't you? And that factional antagonism helped drive the originality of those scenes. Right, and he's he he's he's stuck to his guns on that, and I respect that.
0: Yeah, um, and I I think the thing that he talks about that is so important to Profanatica and to understanding you know where these kinds of bands are coming from is that Paul sort of perceives black metal as a a, a particular inflection of death metal rather than as a thing unto itself. Um, Profanatica is typically described as a black death band, but I think. Ledney would argue that what they were doing was just completely contiguous within death metal back in 1990, um, which is a really interesting perspective. Um, and and it sort of carries on with that idea that I was talking about uh, in the ICE review the other day about the idea of USBM being really more an outgrowth of death metal than black metal proper, and like proper yeah. black metal is almost entirely European.
1: Yeah, it's funny that with... Um it's funny that with Ice, you and related bands like Thorn Spawn or whatever, you get the more sort of technical, uh, extreme hyper blasting version of that mm. phenomenon, and then with the originators like Profanatica, Hedge, Demoncy. I hear there's a new Demoncy too. Um, yeah, there's a
0: new Demoncy coming.
1: Um. Oh, okay. I'm we'll, excited. We'll get to that. Um, <laughs> so uh, with with those bands, it's a much more primitive, minimalist death metal, and you can cert- I can certainly hear on this record. I really get what he means. On this record, a lot of these ideas are just, are, would be not out of place in the most crushing and abrasive 80s death metal. Mm -hmm. This is just, it's death metal with the, with droning repetition and a very explicit punk uh, chassis to it. That, he said something interesting in the interview that, um, they drew. They thought punk was really important, which I would say was also very important for a lot of the, for most of the Scandinavian bands, mm-hmm. but um, just in a different way. But what he said, it was interesting hearing him reflecting on his. You can tell that this is a guy who like he positions himself as a simple man who like big riff, big tit, mm-hmm. but he's a thoughtful guy who takes his art seriously. And you can you can he says something about like yeah we took a lot from punk and we thought that was really important but lately I think we took some of the wrong things from punk. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, and well, I, I really liked what he said where it was you know punk was already a part of the equation in early black and death metal and when you go back and like season it with more punk something something goes wrong.
1: And sure, I think that's an accurate objection to like late dark throne,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? But um. The, um, but yeah, I think he, there's some interesting thoughts about the punk influence, and I almost wonder if on this record he's reworking the punk undercurrent a little bit. But yeah, this is in a very, very primitive satanic death metal. Uh, but another weird thing from the interview, uh, that this record reminded me of is he was surprisingly soft on Swedish death metal, um, which obviously it was a punching bag for the Norwegians. Um, especially, you know, the, the Sunlight Studios, Stockholm mm-hmm. stuff um, And um, on the show, it's often a punching bag for us yeah. um, I used to be a big sort of um, uh, sort of D-beat, sweet F guy And the death metal guy kind of talked me out of it um, <laughs> l- Lately, I've been coming around on it a bit more But, like, um, this record reminds me a lot of that the guitar tone is a more resonant and textured version of the chainsaw tone, and a lot of the riffing in weird ways. Uh, and maybe that's okay. I just didn't, didn't expect it.
0: No, you're, you're very right about that, in that that is pretty novel to Profanatica. I am not super, super familiar with the last full length before this, uh, Rotting Incarnation of God, but all the records before that I know pretty well. And they are not... um, You'll have, like, the occasional D-beat or sort of Sweet Death riff, but you won't have, like, full-fledged, like, nihilist sections like this album will have. Yeah, this record... Oh, I was just going to say, they, they really pull them off here. Like I, they, they play a lot of kinds of riffs and rhythms yeah. that I typically don't like, yeah. but when being used as punctuation yeah. on these otherwise just like very direct and yeah. battering songs, that injection of just a little bit of groove goes a long way. Yeah, the
1: primary Swedish under influence here is the mongoloid fringe of Swedeath, which has always been my favorite, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, Grave, obviously big for me, um, Nihilist, and Unleashed. Um, and you get that as that sort of pummeling, the stuff that has the, the Discharge really intact in it. Um, but there's other aspects to it, too, that are... Um, uh, other Swedishisms going on that are are, are less uh, less intuitive um, so let's listen to the first track um, condemned to unholy death uh, about two minutes in when when the the action gets started uh, and um, listen tell me what Swedish stuff this reminds you of So there we are back on the more epic riff. You can hear how that is the same rhythm and melodic contour as the much more dissonant riff it just supplanted, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. The the ba- there, this record is built around basically one riff, which is yeah. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> um, very deliberately. That's cool. I love that. You know, this is definitely a noble attempt at the one riff song and one riff record in mm-hmm. general um, which is sort of the you know the the ideal of this kind of minimalist extreme metal um, and uh, but the, the so the, the interesting thing is that that last riff right has sort of gothic minor scale intervals to it the kind of choices you'd hear on Eucharist or like Slaughter of the Soul or override of the overture, dismember, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah. And it's of course it's been pro fanaticized, right? It's <laughs> brutal. It's brutally stripped down. It is forced into these geometric, uh, geometric arrangements. Um, doesn't have any of the heavy metalisms. Uh, but it, it doesn't. It really sound like that kind of um, uh, sort of. Dorian scale inflected bulldozer guitar stuff
0: yeah um, uh, it definitely comes out more strongly here with the specific Swedish influence but Profanatica has always dwelled in one of two modes which is either like completely chromatic grinding like borderline mortician riffs and these like super dark dorian scale things okay interesting. Um, interesting yeah so no the the dark dorian stuff is like a major part of what they do and i i've always described a, a lot of it as sounding like almost like inverted liturgical music or something yeah there's there's an effort to make music that sounds like a sort of Dark religious experience
1: Yeah yeah Sinister yeah. Gregorian sh- Like tw- Here Ten hours Sinister
0: Gregorian Chance <laughs> yeah, to, to study and relax to Yeah I mean
1: I actually Basically listen to that So yeah, that,
0: that, that, that is I definitely guess. A you thing yeah. <laughs> For me it's For me it's a Epic Anthem Trance mix Summer 2004 You know there's, spe- <laughs>
1: so. there's Specifically a Warhammer 40k Themed one called Why do I still live
0: <laughs> <laughs> Anyway <laughs> so yeah um and i think that um so, so i think one of the things that makes profanatica distinct from um from a lot of the bands that are doing sort of a profanatica thing now you know it's almost become me metal is its own subgenre at this mm-hmm. point um but i think that what happens is you know like in most cases where this sort of worshipful appreciation of a single band gets extended into other bands other bands pick one or the other. They pick either the harsh chromatic stuff, which puts you in more of a war metal direction, or they pick purely the, the sort of majestic dark Dorian who? stuff, which gets you to Paimon Gate.
1: I was going to say who does that, but I guess, yeah, Paimon Gate does that. Okay. Yeah. Paimon
0: yeah. Gate is basically take Pro Phenotica, strip out all the purely chromatic stuff, and just do this stuff yeah. that accidentally sounds so, like Candlemass along the way. Right.
1: So um, so maybe it's the really burly tone being applied to those melodies that makes them sound more like
0: Sweet F. Well, there's also um, a, a little bit more concession to groove on this record than you typically mm-hmm. hear from Profanatica. Because we got to remember Profanatica is a drummer band, but um but the way it's oriented is not the same as other drummer bands necessarily. Um this is more based around Paul like High contrast is really important between sections, like super abrupt riff changes. Like, you got a few of them in that sample there. Um, yes. But uh, the thing that Paul is interested in isn't so much playing cool beats as, how can I make, like, horrible grinding tension emerge through a purely rhythmic instrument? <laughs>
2: and,
0: <laughs> and he does remarkably well at that. Um, like, in what I'm about to show you, Um so most profanatica records are just, like, collections of songs. I mean, they're laid out with a certain pacing in mind, but they're just um, sort of patchworks of songs, and they're cool for that. I have no problem with that. Here, there's a real effort made to create an album album. Uh, a lot of these songs function sort of like suites, and obviously the whole record is about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ um, with these sort of repeating motifs in the song titles and such. Yeah, I, I'm sure that when the lyrics are printed, we'll get more of that. Um, So here we're going to listen to the transition between two songs. We're going to go from The First Fall to Meeting of a Whore. Uh, The first few times I listened to this album, I wasn't aware that these were different songs because one just carries cleanly into the next. And something really cool happens with that transition. uh, And I think that it should happen on every extreme metal record ever. Obviously, every extreme metal record should have a part where it's just uh, a thrash beat and the most ghoulish vocals you've ever heard. And that's just how a song ends before immediately kicking into the next one off of like a weird reverse cymbal sound effect. Um, at which point they present what the black metal guy called basically just the first death metal riff that Yeah and it, it got me to thinking, you know what's the other what's like the missing ingredient of um, you know early death metal riff craft that we don't talk about much? It would be like horror film soundtracks. Like, that almost sounds like something off, like, a silent horror film from the 1920s.
1: And that was very present on Left Hand Path. hmm right? Yeah. And that's one of the things that dates that record hard, but this doesn't sound dated at all.
0: I think it's because of the weird geometric way that it's presented. You know, mm-hmm. it's just always, it's always against this weird clashing contrast. Um, Paul doesn't like to do fills very often. He likes to just switch to a beat very abruptly which creates strange time dissonance on some of these tracks Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but um I I also want to say like a really important ingredient to Pro is Ledney's vocals which are in terms of timbre just some of the most horrible shit out there just this this dry hissing like decomposed ghoul thing Uh, Reminds me kind of like of like how dead would sound in certain moments of live in Leipzig. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I love them and I love how blown out they are and how crucial they are to the music, even though Paul's vocal pattern is basically the same every time. Just big held words, you know, just like on every half note. Uh, there's mm-hmm. there's no effort to create a groove, but it does add to the the weird sort of hypnotic effect that this music has. Like this this is an album that goes by really quickly, and Profanatica records in general can be these sorts of um, meditative experiences. Ironically, in the manner of like a lot of classic second wave black metal, it's like Me hates all that shit, but he's produced the Transylvanian Hunger effect through stripped down primitive death metal.
1: That's a very good point. Yes. Um, yes. Transylvanian Hunger, uh, hunger or the Burzum Records, basically. Um, this also obviously has a lot in common with the old Jarn. Um, I'm yeah. sure he'd. I'm sure he'd hate it because it has no low end. But the level of <laughs> punk, it's the same. It's the same punk bands. Um, yeah. The. Um, uh, let's see. So uh, now we get to. Um, oh wait, this is your sample next too. My yeah, samples can, are. Yeah, it's a one. sandwich. Yeah. yeah.
0: Okay, so I'm just gonna play a whole track. This one's just a lot of fun. Like th- this is a, r- a record where. It, it it really just speaks for itself. Like, I don't know how much I possibly have to contribute to a, a greater understanding of Prophanautica apart from, like, the little bits of musical stuff we can talk about. So, this is a track called Charmingly Wipe the Fucking Face of Jesus. Um... And it's it's a, like a it's a really short like two and change track that does all the weirdest ugliest things that Profanatica likes to do and just crams them all into one place. This this song is fucking horrific. So we'll listen to that and then I think I think I'll actually take the time to go a little bit more meta and talk about why Profanatica when they do blasphemy are actually cool. <laughs>
1: that's just a cool breakdown. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, that's, that's, that's a, that's, that's like a beatdown.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, it, it's very hardcore. Um, it, it's a weird thing to hear out of a Provenotica record, but it really works. Um, So you've got that, which, which is sort of like the main riff of the song. And then it just contorts through all these other horrible things. You've got the geometric, um, dethrone the son of God style riff. One thing that's notable is that, Provenautica plays super down-tuned, but they like to start their riffs in the middle of the guitar. Um, a lot of death metal bands kind of paint themselves into a the corner by just like starting off on a low open note, um, but oh. then they always have to move up. You know, they're they, so you're you're so right, bro. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, because it's like I mean they have they only have one dimension to explore, which is upward. You know, they can't go any lower than that root note, so a lot of death metal riffs end up being sort of clustered around the same part of the fretboard. Profanautica likes to start around the middle of the fretboard so that they're able to dive down on those low notes for effect, which I really like.
2: Um,
0: um, it's sort of like when I play, uh, when I play eight string, I usually like to hang out around like the B or E strings and like go down to the F sharp for like a big effect for a really heavy riff. Um so then there's all these so many bizarre things happen in this track that weird needling lead thing that yeah. which only plays out of the left channel the right guitar disappears and it's only bass which just makes it even more obnoxious and weird um, it's it's just so the, fucking cool the um, riff
1: before that was obnoxious and weird too I would describe that as the inverted meow mix riff yeah, um, yeah, which which I don't mean as an insult, it's supposed to be needling and absurd, and it's kind of like a, um, it's like a more, um, cortisol inducing version of the, um, the, the sort of the big chord progression on Messiah, which isn't a chord progression, it's like a fucking chromatic mm-hmm. scale in reverse, but the, the, the chorded part of Messiah.
0: Yeah, well, I think, um, I, I think that's an important feature of Profanatica is the, uh that's where the punk comes in is a sort of deliberate obnoxiousness. And uh, there's a, a sort of biting sarcasm to all of their music. Like, they're really into it, but they also, like, Paul Ledney knows what he's doing when he's jacking off on a Bible on stage. You know? <laughs> like, like there, he understands the inherent absurdity of it, but he also says, well, fuck, I'm doing it, aren't I? I mean, shit. <laughs> Which leads me to, I just want to talk real quick about, like, the cool thing about Prophanautica, when I played with them uh, a bunch of years back, I actually said to Paul, Paul, I just want to say I'm a Catholic and you, you write some of the only anti-Christian music that actually seems effective to me.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and I think that's because Prophanautica, um, Profanatica lyrically and thematically does the opposite of immolation. Um, when we reviewed Acts of yeah. God, was that last year or the year mm-hmm. before? Um, when we reviewed that, I talked about the idea that the problem with immolation lyrics is that Ross just kind of sounds like he's. It's not that he's against Christianity; he's he's upset that its promises are unfulfilled. Um, he's he's angry at the hypocrisy of the church and their inability to manifest paradise on earth. But he doesn't really disagree with any of the the sort of like moral or philosophical points of christianity which is interesting but probably not the way death metal band should go about things paul kind of makes it clear throughout his whole body of work that he hates christianity because he finds it weak and gay (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. there's something just very direct about it he doesn't like it because he doesn't respect it you know, Profanatica never does a, a song about the hypocrisy of the church or you know right, how right. priests are actually bad guys. No, Paul well, is the fucking bad guy here.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, that shit is that shit is lame. And the slew of false black metal bands that came out imitating the Norwegians in the later nineties, early two thousands. Now, you get that a lot, right? You wrote in the notes like. Right the common common thing would be talking about Christianity as some oppressive structure that we mm-hmm. need to resist. That wasn't the point for the Scandinavians either. The point was that it was weak and gay.
0: Yeah. And I <laughs> I like and I just like especially me as a religious guy, I respect that so much more that it's like <laughs> like like Paul's yes. right. Paul's whole thing is that he legitimately is rejecting the morality of christianity he he explicitly rejects not just like the the earthly manifestation of it but the spiritual one as well paul says no to all of it and that is that is great because if you're going to do a metal band where anti-christianity is the overwhelming focus it has to come from a position of strength not a position of weakness
1: That's an important distinction. Yeah, so how does Pro Fanatica... Pro Fanatica is purely blasphemous music, and yet it works because it's coming from the position of strength. That's one of the things that, like... One of the things he doesn't like about the Norse, right, is he described it as not as blasphemous. (laughs) Yeah. I think what it is is that in some sense it's a more... um, I think the thing they did that was smart is they take the... um, the positive rejection of Christianity, right? Not this weird secular attempt to out Christian, the Christians, Mm -hmm. but this, they say we are completely rejecting this value system. And for the Norse, they understand Satan as Christianity's face for its outside. Right? So they install the image of Satan in all of these, in this whole other tradition of images that are derived from say paganism and uh, from, you know, from, yeah, from, from Norse paganism and reverence for nature, red in tooth and claw and all of that. Right. And as Ledney likes to say, uh, mockingly, right. The moon, um, right. You know, but, but Satan becomes, Satan becomes a face for Odin. Satan becomes the distorted prism of the old gods. Right. Uh, and in that way you are, the, the satanic image is an outright rejection of the entire value system and the metaphysics and all of that, right? Rather than just a rejection of the church for being insufficiently loving. Yes. Um, and so the Norse do that in their own way. But I guess the thing that makes Profanatica unique is that they have, he has that complete rejection, but he remains completely within the Christian frame. He's just like, yes, I am the goddamn devil. And I think you're stupid and weak.
0: Yeah, no, I, I there's, it's, a, a, there's a there's a powerful um it's almost like early you know, grindcore, you know? This this just powerful you know, rejection. You know what else is there what it's like of course is
1: Morbid Angel. Um yes. which uh you know, you have that sort of Morbid Angel also points towards some of the more highbrow stuff in the Scandinavian stuff. Like their their Satan is clearly like Milton's Satan and whatever, mm. but like uh you know, um, uh, fallen angels take my hand I mm-hmm. lord, I take command. Yeah, right. Yeah. That that is that is a rejection of the basic print. That is not. Um, uh, yeah, th- th- that that's a rejection of the. That's not that's not Satan thinking he. Uh, th- that's not Satan wanting his um, wanting his Christian freedom.
0: Well, I think um, I think something I'm very sold. noteworthy about Profanatica's aesthetic and lyrics is that Profanatica actually never talks about Satan. Interesting. Profanatica just positions itself against Christianity and there, there is there's something I think very powerful to the idea that there is, the devil isn't there for backup. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I love
2: that. <laughs> you know, it's it's like, yeah. you, don't,
0: you don't get to like, it's not about mocking Christianity and then pointing at the devil and being like, my dad can beat up your dad. It's like, right, I don't right. think Ledney believes in the fucking devil either. He just, he he believes that he himself is standing against, you know, Christianity or the church or however you want to frame it. And I think that that is, that strikes me as so much more powerful and willful than Merely suggesting, oh, you know, the bad guy's actually good. No, it's mm-hmm. like he's he, Paul and he's there and he's in your face and he's he's writing songs like uh, Cunts of Jerusalem and, you know, mocked, scourged and shit upon off of the last record. Like the, the, the like vulgar scatological quality is, like, crucial to this. It's like, yeah, I mean, the, Jesus Christ. The a really of, good title is Compelled by Romans. Compelled by Romans, that's such a good one. And I, I, one of the coolest song titles ever is off the very first Pro Fanatica full length, which, like, just it, it owns so hard. The opening track is called Master of Man Absolute, which is just... So fucking powerful and so intense. And then you realize he's not talking about the devil. Paul is the devil.